Hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. My name is G. Mark Hardy. I'm your host for today, and I have a special guest today, Amir Deba, who is going to talk with us about all things data security and why you should care about it and what you should do about it to protect your organization. But before we begin, let's just take a moment to hear from our sponsor. If you're tired of juggling SOC 2 and ISO 27001 compliance, you're not alone. The pain points for both are the same. Fragmented audits, endless evidence requests, and mounting costs. But there's a better way. RISC 360 offers a harmonized audit process that seamlessly combines both frameworks. No more duplicated requests or fragmented audits. Unifying frameworks for mergers and acquisitions? We've got you covered. Contact RISC 360 today to learn how to unify streamline and create efficiency in your compliance experience. That's R-I-S-K-3-S-I-X-T-Y. Okay, back to our show. Welcome. Glad to have you on there. I'm glad we were able to make the time. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for hosting me. Well, I'm pleased to have you and we'll be talking about some interesting things. But first, let's talk a little bit about yourself. Uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background and you know, where you are and, of course, how you got to where you are now? Sure. My name is Amir Deba. I'm the CEO and co-founder of uh, Normalize. Uh, Normalize is a data security platform to help you really secure your data everywhere, uh, starting, of course, in the cloud, uh, across IaaS, SaaS, SaaS uh, and on-premise. We help customers get the visibility they need around their data and know what's in it, where is it, how, what, how, how valuable it is, and what are the risks around it, what you need to do to secure it, how to manage compliance and maintain it on an ongoing basis. It's really a big problem to, to tackle all at once. And the only way to do it is to, to have a platform that can deliver these capabilities in a unified kind of holistic approach around data. I'm a cyber guy. I've been in the space for close to 30 years now. Before Normalize, I was the chief commercial officer at Qualys. I was there for 17 plus years, one of the very early employees, helped, take, helped grow the company, take it public and grow to a market leader and um, everything about vulnerability management and cloud security. So if we're going to be talking about data security, I've got the right guy on the call. And I think that's wonderful. <laughs> yes, so, for sure. For sure. So thank you again. So for our audience, let's, let's start with some basics. If you remember earlier on my show, you know, several months back, I had Sunil Yu, and he put together a book called The Cyber Defense Matrix. And in there, he created a framework that had a number of different elements. And the landscape consists of devices, applications, network, data, and users. And in looking at his mapping, what he suggests is we can look that across, identify, protect, detect, respond, recover, and then map different technologies, different tools, et cetera, to be able to provide that desired capability. Now, what we think about is that the technology that's going to secure data then is going to be different than device or application or network or users, pretty much by definition, because this was designed to be a mutually exclusive type of a matrix. So you can think of examples. Endpoint security could be things like endpoint detection response, EDR. Uh, application security, SAS, DAS, vulnerability management tools. Our network security could be firewalls, intrusion detection systems. User security could be identity and access management systems. And now all of these things are important and you want to implement them. But if you did all of that, you still would not have data security. So what about the data, exactly. Yeah, exactly. What about the data? So what what is data the most important thing, by the way? I mean, that's <laughs> where information security, the word is like to protect our information, right? So it's really all about the data at the end of the 
Yeah, I miss the term infosec because you know we talk about cyber and everything. Yeah. Like, yeah, forget the cyber. It's the information that we care about. And so yeah, and we we spent all this time kind of building castles and putting the data on it. But you know, with now the movement to the cloud, the digital transformation, all these all these castles we have built becomes became irrelevant, right? So data's everywhere. It's it's yeah. exploding at you know, especially now thanks to the to the AI and ML movement. Data is moving into the cloud, you know, to at at pace that we've never seen before. In fact, in 2025, the estimate is that there's going to be hundreds and terabytes of data spread across cloud environments. And like, I don't know, that's the one one with like so many numbers. I guess 21 zeros. Yeah, so, and, it had, and yeah, you, that might be a hack Jeopardy question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get so it. It's, it's like, a huge problem. It's, it's yeah. the data is is in structured structured you know, in all different formats. So, so how, how do we go about it? Like how, how do you really try to look at that problem, take a step back and look at the problem and approach it in a functional way that can give you that ongoing visibility and control and trust of the data. And, and as you think about even the fundamental elements of cybersecurity, the one-on-one confidentiality, integrity, availability, uh, we're talking primarily about the information, the data itself. As you go to the cloud, the availability usually becomes something a little bit less than before. Okay, if I spill a coffee on my laptop and it's the only computing device I have, I have an availability problem. But in the cloud, we can spin up more instances faster than you can go ahead and take them down practically. And so again, what we concern ourselves with is the information. Because imagine if a bad actor got into your, your router, got access to a lost laptop or something like that. But if all your data were properly encrypted, or the access is blocked because they don't have the credentials to get there. Um, they can't do anything to it. I've stolen your encrypted yeah. data. Yeah. Okay. So what? Like, yeah. At the end of the day, that's where the value is, and that's where where the attacks are, and what what people are looking for is just they wanna they wanna get to your data. So at yeah. the end of the day, figuring out how to secure it, how to protect it on an ongoing basis, but and how to know where is it to start with and what how valuable it is to your organization becomes becomes a very important aspect of you know securing that data and and maintaining a security posture that 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 gives you that resilience on an ongoing basis. And and, and that's very important because I remember we used to talk to people say what keeps you awake at night? It's like where is my information? Okay, it's not like where's my server? It's in the cloud. Where's the cloud? I don't care. It's the cloud. But where's my data? And this more relevant now with regulations, things like GDPR and different requirements that it have a geographic location. You'd mentioned the value of your data, but also who has access to it and what's the risk of exposure of that information being to third parties who don't yeah. have yeah. authorization for it. And then as I kind of alluded to a little bit, there's compliance, there's laws or regulations, and some of these things get very, very expensive. And is that a multi-million have... dollar question? I call it yeah, <laughs> exactly. Particularly when it comes to some of these fines out here and you're looking at it, you go, holy moly, I didn't even know they come up with that stuff. It's like a competition between regulatory authorities. You think you can make a fine? Watch this. This is a fine, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's really these these questions that you ask, these are the multi-million dollar questions that every CISO tries to answer and tries to answer them now. I have to try to answer them with confidence considering like the latest SEC rules and guidelines that were established around mm-hmm. you know ongoing ongoing reporting for public companies. So so you know to answer these questions and answer them with confidence, 
is actually, believe it or not, is, a, is now the big requirement, but also it's not easy in many organizations because the kind of proliferation of data that happened at scale and the lack of ongoing visibility around it. And that's where, you know, a data security posture management platform is really going to be the answer to help you address that and be able to answer these questions to the board, to your team, to your company, to the board, to your investors, to your customers, and answer them with confidence. Do I have GDPR data? Yes or no. Before, typically you'd have to go and ask your teams and look at different resources and maybe like have multiple meetings to figure it out. That could work in certain environment, but imagine you're doing it in a multi kind of cloud hybrid type of an environment where data is not in one cloud, it's multi-cloud, some is on-prem, some of it is in SaaS application. How, how do you know that you are answering that question with confidence and with trust? So it becomes really important that you have the kind of the right tools, the right telemetry information that you're collecting about your data so you can you can answer these questions and feel sleep better at night. <laughs> Yeah, because without a data security management platform, as you said, you're either kind of guessing or you're relying on handwritten notes. Okay, I think this is here, or maybe this is here. Or other tools that you have to integrate. You know, that's all very costly. And again, if you're doing it in one one environment, that's easy. But one, you have many environments that have different information and different requirements and different inputs and different outputs. It becomes becomes really very complicated. Right. you you want to have it done the uh, kind of the, the right solution that can collect all this telemetry, all this information about your data, correlate it together, normalize it the right way for you. Mm-hmm. So you end up with the dashboard that can, with just one one glimpse of it, you know all you have all the answers you need right there, and you know the basal information you are gathering in real time from your data from within the different environment that you are supposed to maintain and monitor on an ongoing basis. Yeah, and I think identifying, you know, data, as you said, normalizing it is key. And I think that's going to be, the, that's the name in your company. And, and I see that because if I've got a whole bunch of flat files or I have random assortment, I've got database here, Word documents there, emails, PDFs, Excel, et cetera, and then some other element that, you know, website, people uploading forms, et cetera, all those represent potential sources of sensitive information that not only could be introduced into the system, but then have to be managed, tracked, and ultimately to their end of life. Particularly when you get to GDPR and the right to be forgotten, if I say, I no longer want to do business with your company, and I ask that you forget me, a lot of Americans get that wrong. They think the right to be forgotten is, hey, everything stupid I did in high school, I want to erase from the internet. It doesn't work that way. But what it does say is that the company that complies will remove your personal data so that if the following month you read in the paper, oh, such and such a company has been breached and their data were lost, I go like, well, I don't care. I've already opted out and they they followed through. But And and that data, typically, a lot of applications collect this information about it, puts it in an unstructured format. So Mm -hmm. you can have various pieces about, you know, your PII data that exists in different forms and shapes. And it gets gathered and collected by companies, by different applications that we use daily. Our different applications we use via SaaS or when you go to pay your mortgage or to pay your insurance or to pay your car loan or, you know, any of that, it's all 
it's all gathering and PII data about you, about where you are, who you are, all your payment methods, the variety of information that can be connected together also about you. And also sometimes these pieces of information, it's not, it's not how it exists as its own entity. It's how it exists as a profile about you and how close of proximity it is within these files that are being gathered about you. So sometimes if, if certain pieces of information are being gathered, it can be insignificant. Okay, my name, so what? So, but my name with my credit card info and my address and my social security number all within the same proximity in one file or in one one data store. That's very important. That's something as as the custodian of the company that's that's owning that information, I want to make sure I really protect because that's PII data. So identifying these, these pieces of information with accuracy and knowing that it's PII data, so classifying it properly and understanding the access to that data, who accesses it, is it supposed to be accessed by the finance team, by the HR team, by the dev team, and also gathering all that information and maintaining it up to date. So applying the least privilege access to the data will even make it more secure. And of course, understanding any attack paths around that data that could compromise it. Are there any vulnerabilities in the environment? Are there any misconceptions in the environment? Are there any access rules combined with vulnerabilities or with other misconceptions or with other telemetry or information about the data that can make it risky? That's what I need to know so I can fix that and eliminate that risk factor immediately and be proactive about it before it reach happens. Now, how much of this awareness would be contemporaneous, that is to say, I can see what's going on right now as compared to, I can distill this information from logs. That is to say, access logs, so I know that from this time to that time, mm -hmm. such an employee accessed these records, uh, but that's usually time late as compared to a real-time data protection, which says we're gonna mitigate and perhaps interrupt somebody attacked, trying to get at something they should not. Yeah. Um, the, the first thing is that you need to know that it's happening, right? You need to be right. alerted. And typically that, you know, the information you gathered can be as in real time as possible. I mean, depending on how fast you do your scans and the environment, do you have a real time agent within the environment that's constantly listening and paying attention to this, collecting this information in real time. You know, but this data, typically, you know, if you are within 10 to 15 minutes window, we're gathering this information, you're, you're right there and still in the moment of trying to understand an attack and capture it before it happens. Mm -hmm. And once you have that information and you're notified about it, so lucky if you're lucky, you can be proactive and fix it before anything happens. If it's happening in real time and you get also the, the telemetry from the environment, you, can, you detect the, from the environment that, in, that an exfiltration of data is happening, that there is an attack in motion happening right now, this is where you want to be able immediately to interrupt it, to remove access, to take the machine offline, to encrypt the data, to tokenize the data, to, to even mask the data so what, no one can really see it and understand what's in it. And in these cases, you will have to have not just the ability to detect, but also to respond. And the response can vary in terms of is it a type of a mitigation of a response or is it actually like you're really preventing the attacker from accessing your information whatsoever? So, and companies, depending on their maturity and CISOs, depending also what their business is, what 
financial business, healthcare business, pharmaceutical business, all these regulated industries have various responses in place based on some of the contracts and some of the SLAs that they have with their customers and how they structure that. But, you know, it all starts by understanding the security posture of your data mm-hmm. and having that security posture always up to date. So it giving you the latest information about your data, then getting the responses from your infrastructure that can tell you in real time if there are any misuse or a misbehavior of users or attacks that is happening in real time that you need to intercept and, and protect yourself. Like in case of a ransomware or a, a ransomware cyber attacks, you know, if it happens, you want to be able, for example, to immediately restore and get the data that you lost and then be back up, be back immediately, back up and functioning immediately and then figuring out, you know, who got access to the data. If it's encrypted, so what? Then there's nothing they can do with it and you're up and running. But it's not as encrypted, then you have to go and do what you need to do to disclose that and do the right thing with your customers. So if we go back and look at Sunil's matrix, where we have the you know, mutually exclusive MECE, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the CE, shame on me. I should have, I, I got it on my bookshelf, but I'm not going to go look for it. Is yeah. that it's like collectively exhaustive, I think it is. Mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive. It's mean, everything fits in one and only one spot. And so as we take a look at, identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. A lot of what we're we're talking about here is at the detect phase. Detecting an attack, detecting an intrusion, detecting a problem. If we can protect, that's great because then we never have a problem. If we were perfect at protection, the whole right side of that cybersecurity kill chain or or cybersecurity matrix wouldn't matter. But it turns out that when we protect and detect and respond, that then becomes a tight loop. You know, the recover is, is something that ultimately we have to get to, but do you find that there's a danger that we might have, if you will, perfect visibility, but not much able to do about it? Yes, I can see all these attacks in real time. I can see the data, but that doesn't help me if I can't reach out and stop it and pull it back. So is it, it's gotta be more than just a passive, hey, here's what's going on. It actually has to be an active interdiction. How do you actually make sure you do that without disrupting the business flow because you could obviously pull all the plugs on the network cabinet it stops you can exfiltration but it stops the business how, how do you balance that yeah i mean if you think about it like detection the detection part if you're doing it in a proactive way and you are fixing the issues that you're identifying in a proactive way then really the that you're reducing the risk of an attack happening in real time tremendously because and even when it's happening in real time, the impact of it is going to be much less because you've already either encrypted the data or took it offline, mm-hmm. removed the access that's unnecessary or to fix the vulnerabilities that are around it or the misconfigurations that you identified that make that data risky. Then if an attack were to happen in real time, this is where it's important that you have the right mechanisms to respond proactively, not just proactively, but as it's happening. So you need to be able either to encrypt the data, mask the data, for example, take the data offline completely so no one can see it, no one can access it, no one can touch it, even bring out an entire infrastructure and application, bring it offline to, to prevent that attack from happening. Mm-hmm. These are the type of responses that, again, depending on the application and the complexity of what, what you're delivering to your customers, there are various ways where you can approach it. And we've seen it get variation of all of that from many of our customers 
you know, a lot have kind of built also around the SOAR engine so they can immediately understand the problem, apply automation, remediate it, and all of that happens in a, in a transparent way where the end user doesn't, is not really impacted by it. Mm-hmm. But just being proactive is going to give you a lot of protection after the fact and will also give you the peace of mind that if you were to get breached, you will have a lot more control of what got breached and and what can you do about it because you've already eliminated a lot of the risk factors and you've already el- eliminated a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the the attack paths around the data that can lead to these big compromises yeah and so if we think about it where we have our information we want to keep it you know encrypted at rest so pretty much in storage encrypted in motion whether it's TLS or some other protocol but ultimately, we need to work on the information. And, and short of getting into a discussion on homomorphic encryption where you can actually work on encrypted data, which is kind of well beyond the scope of what we want to talk yeah. about. Yeah, it's even somewhat... if encrypted, like if, if the attacker, for example, impersonates someone through an IAM role and gets into the environment, then they have full access to the data, correct? So, you know, it, there's a lot of these now sophisticated attacks where even the data is encrypted at rest, you can still have access to it. Most applications end up accessing the data encrypted in a way at rest, but they access it, you know, through an encryption, through an, through an access role or um, some other mechanism that attackers can also get to it and 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 understand the data that way. So we, you know, um, it's important to build that as a holistic understand that whole that whole infrastructure that you're building at a holistic level and and put the right controls in place. So if an attack is happening, you can apply the, the right remediation to block it and to eliminate or to minimize the aftermath as much as possible. So it brings up an interesting dilemma or question. If I keep my information encrypted at rest and someone, quote unquote, steals my encrypted database, my initial thought is, okay, that's not a breach. It's not a disclosure. I have not suffered a compromise. But then it brings up the question to say, well, my people can make sense of that information. So instead of just narrowly focusing on the data, I also have to look at their credentials. Did somebody get into the credential store, whether yeah. it's you know, Mimi Cats pulling something out of memory or the like? Yes. Does that yeah. fit within the same definition that we're talking about, about knowing where my data is, or is that out of I scope? Mean, of course. Yeah, I mean, secrets and keys and credentials, you know, these are some of the information when we're scanning for your data or this mm-hmm. is what's in my data. Does it have any of that information, any passwords, any keys, any uh, encryption mechanism that if, if someone gets to them, they can get to other pieces of the data or also on its own, they're very important because they're, they can give you access to other pieces of information. So all of that is considered like sensitive data and it can vary from one environment to the other. So our scan engine come, for example, in our case comes with a lot of these by default, so you can identify them, but you can further even customize it in your environment to identify additional sensitive information that can be very specific to the environment you're in or to the applications that you are building. And if we don't have it out of the box, then you can train the system, you can train the scanner to do it for you on an ongoing basis. Well, that, that's good sense. So now what we have is, as you say, data at rest, data in motion, understanding what it is, being able to convert it from just some sort of a random flat file to saying, hey, there's some structure to it. And oh, by the way, this is PII, this is 
protected health information. This is payment card information, whatever bucket it happens to fit into. And that's normally just done by looking at the format, the content, and there's rules. I know Microsoft Purview has a way of checking for that where they can indicate, yeah, we think you just sent something that is a PII. Do you really want yes. to look at that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you see kind of those built-in tools like from Microsoft being something that will be adequate to the task? Are they a feel-good capability or are they just one more layer of defense that should exist behind a more formal structure? Again, it all back on your use case and how diverse it is, multi-cloud environment. Example, Microsoft mainly supports their own environment. Sometimes they do a very good job with it. So it goes back to your use case and what you're trying to do with. We see a lot of our customers, you know, if they're in Azure, they're in GCP or AWS, they have multiple SaaS applications, they have still data on-prem, and they want a holistic approach, not just a piecemeal approach where I can you know, see it here, but don't see it there, understand the problem here, but not in these kind of other places. Because that data, as we talked earlier, is moving very fluidly mm -hmm. in environments and it's being propagated sometimes without knowing. Whichever technology you're using or set of technology you're using, you need to make sure that it gives you enough coverage to cover the various use cases around the data. And also, are you just doing discovery and classification? Are you taking it one step further to remove access? Are you tagging that data so you can use different workflows from there to remove access, to apply certain tags and move it into other applications or other sources? So all of that, that's why the accuracy is very important and having that coverage across the entire landscape of your data becomes the, where you need to, when you're, when you're implementing your data security platform uh, and solution, that's what you need to take into consideration. And that makes, yeah, that makes sense. Because I'm, I'm thinking now that if, let's say, I've got an intern or somebody who is careless or, yeah, and, and not picking on interns. I mean, mm -hmm. I've got some folks I work with that are just wonderful people, but they don't have the skill and the training and they, they're prone to make mistakes. So somebody takes an S3 bucket that's going to have PII and they incorrectly configure it so it's now internet facing. Yeah. Um, Typical no. problem that you see pretty much happens. Yeah, it happens a lot. And, yeah. No, no, and, and it happens pretty much in every environment, in large enterprises, medium enterprises. Sometimes you don't even need an intern to do that. So Exactly. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's one of those common mistakes that happens in, yeah. in, de in the depth cycle. Of the cycle. But if for, for me as a CISO, if I want to be able to get real-time heads up to say, hey, there's a new S3 bucket and it's internet-facing, Okay, that may be absolutely fine. That could be a, a good business process all day long. But then when I say, okay, but what's in it? Well, yeah. I don't know what's in it. Now, we, is there a way I can say- Oh, I say that with confidence. You know, you know, but it could be tagged. Like sometimes the environments get tagged. Oh, this has PII data. Okay, so what type of PII data? How much PII data is in it? You know, if it's a structured file like or machine generated, you can, you can guesstimate it. But if it's, mm -hmm. for example- a man-made, like an S3 bucket where a lot of contributors added to it, then you really need to have to be to come through it in, in, a, in a detailed way and make sure that, you know, it has PII data, what types of PII data, how valuable that PII data is. We generate every time we, we, we scan a data store, a value for the data, which is based on all the sensitive entities that is identified in that specific data store, how valuable it is, and what percentage of that data is at risk. So that really allows you to think from the remediation point of view, like to prioritize based on that. 
and also teach to say like to take it to your board say if that data were to be compromised my cost will be that much now when it comes to dealing with the cloud you said we want to put some value on the data one of the concerns i think we have is in multi-cloud environments where a company is going to have something in azure and maybe something over in google cloud and maybe something over at aws uh, a lot of those Cloud environments have organic tools that are helpful for identifying information. I kind of mentioned Purview is Microsoft's thing, which I can use to spot things going by on email. Uh, but I don't think they play well with others, so to speak. So does that speak to a need to have a more comprehensive tool for a multi-cloud environment? Yeah, absolutely. Everyone is in a, is, which company now is not in a multi-cloud hybrid environment to tap data across in a couple of clouds or sometimes three clouds or all of them and still data on-prem. So that's why you really need to evaluate your use cases and take the solution or combination of solutions that give you full coverage so you can understand the data, measure it and discover it, measure it, understand what's in it, classify it the right way, and then take the right basically actions from there and on it across no matter where it is. Most CISOs and customers that we talk to, they say, well, ideally it's one platform that does it all. One place, one dashboard, I get in, I log it, and I see it all. That gives me where, what's in my Azure cloud, what's in my Oracle cloud, what's on-prem, what's in these SaaS applications that I'm interested in, rather than piecemealing it and trying to combine it together and maintain all these tools to give you that whole visibility. Even like, yes, just tagging it, like with some, some already some cloud environments, they allow you like to tag the data or this is PII data or HIPAA data. So what, it's how valuable that is, how much PII data you have in these data stores. You know, if it's a, if it's a structured data store or, you know, it's machine generated environment, it's easy sometimes by sampling few lines of it or few rows to kind of estimate what's in there because it's machine generated. But if it's not machine generated and if it's multiple contributors created that data store with information gathered from multiple sources, then this is where it's important to like really scan it in details and understand what's in it and how have that level of accuracy to figure out how much PII data is in there, what's the value of that PII data. What we do, we assign a monitoring value to that data, which is if that data were to be compromised, that value, that's going to cost you that much. And we assign that value based on the number of sensitive entities and sensitive profiles or classifications that we've identified in one specific data source. And that gives customers the ability to prioritize remediation and to take that information up to the board when they're trying to get budget to say, okay, if, my, if this data were to be compromised, it's going to cost me a good estimate, will be that estimate that I got from normalized. So it's a very powerful tool to bring the level of importance take it to your board and to take action on it. And again, you know, just having that coverage across all your data, wherever it is, is a very powerful capability that really allows you to sleep much better at night and to have a lot of confidence in what you're doing around your data. And I think being able to go to a board or even a budget meeting and be able to have a quantification of what the risk is. Hey, here's what our data is worth. Well, how do you know? Well, so it's one thing to just simply say, well, it's my guess. Or it's another thing to say, well, you know, last year when we were compromised, we paid this fine. We don't really want to be there. But it sounds like you can 
do you, are you able to crowdsource that information for values? Do you gain that price bond looking at GDPR finds that have been issued over the last couple of years? How do you, how do you exactly, exactly. It's a combination of sources that we collected from multiple various kind of industry reports and sheets that provide us this information from third party breaches that happened. And all of that is collated together to our research team and we have some some capable AI capabilities behind it to surface it in the, in the tool and assign it to various data stores based also on the industry of the customer and where the cut here in finance or healthcare or other regulated industries. And then also we allow the customers to further customize it more within their environment based on the, what they know most about it since they know a lot more about it than we do. Yeah, because they know Larry Poneman studies. He, he'll publish it with sponsorship. You know, they call it like the IBM study, but it's really the Poneman Institute. It's, it's done some nice breakouts by nation, by industry, you know, number of records and things such as that. And then there's a Verizon data breach report, which was mm-hmm. a little bit more specific. It's source for us. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's more of a logarithmic sort of a chart. Yes. It's not like if I lose 100 records and it costs me $100, $100 million doesn't cost me $100 million. At some point, it kind of tops off. It's like a fixed and cost. Yeah. And, and that's why we take all that information based on what we actually identify from your from your data and map the message together. And then as they apply additional analytics on top of it to de- derive to derive that monitoring value. And we make that so visible right there from, from the moment you log into the product. So you immediately understand the value of your data and you can monitor that over time from a risk point of view, how much, how that risk, how much it's, you have 5 million of monitoring data and Half of that is at risk. You want to see that 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 number go down as you remediate more and you eliminate risk from within the environment on a on an ongoing proactive basis. Yeah, a lot of us have been, we've been you know, in the last couple of shows. They keep bringing up the SEC ruling, and I'm almost thinking like, well, here's almost like a sales point here to say, how do you know if a breach is material? And materiality is not determined by the CISO. It's usually at the board. I've talked to some CISOs who say. We've defined materiality as X dollars, whether X is, let's say, 2 million, 10 million, 100 million, depends on how big you are. If it's below that threshold, it's not material. We can absorb the hit. We'll just keep on going. But this sounds like an excellent way to answer that question as a CISO to a board. Is this material? And more precisely, what are our material risks that we are not yet addressing from a perspective of this needs to be protected? And that's huge. And this is only in the last, what, 45 days or so that these things are now starting to come online and really taking a push toward determining that materiality. That's a very, very valid point. And we spend a lot of time trying to understand the SEC ruling. My co-founder, in fact, wrote a couple of blogs about it. One of them is almost in the Forbes Technology Council. And, you know, the value of the data is a big part of that because you can establish what's material that helps you establish what's material and what and what's not. I mean, if there's a lot of guidelines there and they can be fluid and interpreted from one environment to another, but I think it's a great starting point for for every every company. Now, one thought is, is that we were talking about information that may be breached. That is to say, some bad actor gains a credential or accesses a publicly exposed S3 bucket or they find unencrypted information that's setting out there and we say, okay, that's happened. But of course, there's always the insider threat. And yes. typically, insider threats tend to materialize or ma- manifest themselves not by dripping out the information a little bit every day. 
If a person normally is accessing 100 records that contain PII on a given day, and one day they're at 90, then 110, 87, 102, we don't care. But if all of a sudden it's 5,000 records, something's up. Uh, and yes. their roles and responsibilities. Something that could be valid. It could be valid, oh. but you need to investigate it. Absolutely. So it, it, these anomalies that happen around your data and your data stores needs to be monitored on an ongoing basis. We have a serious number of checks. We call them anomaly checks, where basically mm-hmm. we establish a baseline for behavior. If one, once that behavior is breached in a way, like it's changed drastically from the threshold that you set, then you get alerted. It could be the number of files being copied or number of commands, hack, copy, paste commands that are happening within data stores. These are just simple examples. Mm-hmm. Or are you like compressing the data all of a sudden and zipping it, zipping chunks of it from to transport it out of the, out of the environment? These are all ana- anomaly checks that we can help you immediately identify and it alert someone to it and page somebody to do it or remove access for someone immediately mm-hmm. for that person that is doing that, remove access until you investigate and open a ticket to investigate the problem before you enable access again. And again, based on customers' use cases and their maturity cycle and how they want to approach the problem, we've seen it from, okay, yes, we know it happened, we're going to go look into it, all the way to being able to block access and investigate the first the person who's accessing the data and mm-hmm. what they're trying to do with it. And probably the last thing I'm thinking of is I, I want to be conscious of our time is what about generational data? If I have a database today or some collection, then I make a backup and then a backup. I have gen- multiple generations of these backups, each of which is just as vulnerable potentially yeah. to yeah. Uh, a PII or some disclosure but may not be protected in the same manner as the original box of hard drives sitting in a corner someplace as compared to being properly destroyed and signed for and destruction and things like that. And that's just physical stuff. How do we address that generational information and then know that it's not still there? Again, if you're adding the right tool, that's basically for us, that's an out-of-the-box capability that we give you, <laughs> understanding where your backups are. Are, the, are you aware of their existence or are they to call the concept of shadow data and who still have access to these backups and what, or are they exposed to any additional risk that you were not aware of? And the concept of a backup can be identified very accurately in various cloud environments. But you know, uh, you can program around it uh, using you do, to do it yourself or you can, you know, if a, a platform like Normalize, that's an out-of-box capability that mm-hmm. we give you. So... We tell you where the data is, what the, where the backups for it, who has access to all these backups, and any risk associated with them. Well, that's excellent. I mean, you know, the, obviously, we're an educational show. You know, we're not doing infomercials, yeah. but you've really picked my interest a lot in, in normalize. And I'm thinking that we probably have some listeners who might feel the same way. How would they get in touch, or how would they learn more about the capabilities that they might be able to get? Yeah, the space is, is happening. Gartner calls the data security posture management. There's a lot of innovation in this space. And we put a lot of educational pieces and information on our website, normalize with Y, mm-hmm. uh, AI. And I, so follow us on social media. We are very active and we have a lot of great customers. Try to learn more about the space and figure out what makes sense for them and what, how to start and where to start. And you can start small and go expand quickly or 
go quickly right away, uh, go horizontal across all your data, wherever it is. Kind of, so N-O-R-M-A-L-Y-Z-E dot A-I. Dot A-I, company. Yes. And my email is amer at normalize.ai if you want to get a hold of me. A-R-E-R, as, as America, you need to remember. Okay, I could remember that one. And uh, yeah, so I, I thank you very much for your time. And I know our, our families have been trying to get onto our call as best they could, but I think. Yes, I apologize for that. There's a toddler in the background. And I've been impressed. I've done 150 <laughs> podcasts having her show up. And yeah, it's in her. Apologies for the for the addition of entertainment on the show. So there you go. Okay. Hello. Very nice to uh, lovely. But, uh, Very let, nice. Let's wrap it up here. So this is uh, CISO Tradecraft. I'm your host, G. Bark Hardy. It's been a, a pleasure talking with Amir Deba. We're talking about normalize and more specifically about data security posture management. How do we keep track of all this information that's out in our cloud, on our servers, locally on our systems, as it moves around both data at rest, data in motion? Can we ensure that we can validate what we have, know what it's worth, which is absolutely key, communicate that to executives, the board, so we want to go ahead and say, this is what we need to protect what we have. And it's also useful for budget justification, as well as potential compliance reporting. And so all those things are really great capabilities to have for an organization that is missing them. I, I think that's something that you need to really look at. Thank well said, Mark. Thank you so much. Thank you for hosting. And thank you for being on the on the show.